The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 114 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We sure appreciate it. And what a great show we have. My guest this week, Roxanne Kennedy, is an incredible author and speaker. And it was such an honor to have her here uh, in the Latter-day Live studios. Uh, You know, November is now, among other things, it's No Shave November or whatever, but it's also, they call it No Poor November. Uh, trying to get rid of pornography. There's a great organization called Fight the New Drug that is working really hard to uh, fight against pornography. And when I talk to friends of mine who are bishops and stake presidents and whatnot, it is really alarming uh, how many men and women are becoming addicted to this just terrible thing. And and hearing Roxanne's story about uh, what it did to her marriage with, with her husband's addiction and whatnot. It's just, it's such a great warning for all of us. It's something we have to be so careful about. And I just so appreciate Roxanne and her story. It's just awesome. This week in my Latter-day Life, I'll tell you about the dish towel phenomenon. It's all coming up. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And this week, right here in the Latter-day Live studios, my guest is a very inspiring author and speaker, Roxanne Kennedy. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. I'm so happy to be here. I am so glad you're here. We actually met through Abby, our guest, a couple weeks ago. That's right. You met Abby, and she was on the podcast, and she's so inspiring. But you have an amazing story to tell, too. Before we get into the big story and kind of what you speak about. Let's hear a little more about you. Where are you from? Okay. I grew up in Northern California Mm. in the Bay Area. Uh, Lived there my whole growing up years, graduated Mm -hmm. from high school, and then ended up at Rick's College. So is your family all members of the church? Everybody's members. And not to betray age or anything, but Uh we may have some audience members. BYU, Idaho. But yeah, at the time, Rick's College. Right. How was that experience? It was was so great. I loved it. I was probably more concerned about doing the fun stuff than the schoolwork at that point. Yeah. It's a very social place. It is. It was, it was great. Not, there weren't a lot of people that had cars, so we just walked everywhere. So then you just saw everybody and things were happening and you stayed and you sometimes didn't end up going to class. So, so (laughs) I still passed all my classes, but at that point I decided to move to Provo and I went with my roommate and we did hair school. Oh, awesome. Yeah. We did cosmetology school at Bonlosi. Did you know that was something you wanted to do? No. uh -uh. Nope. She just said, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm like, well, that sounds fun. Let's do that. So (laughs) that was in 1991. I ended up going back to Rick's after a couple years later. And that's where I met my husband at the Mm -hmm. time. And uh, we ended up getting married. Tell us a little bit about meeting your husband. Okay. Um, Well, I knew friends of his uh, from the year before or from two years before when I was there. I didn't know him. And so uh, that's kind of how we started hanging out. 
and we just started dating. We dated that year and got married the following summer. And he was typical active member of the church. Totally. Yep. Everything yep. Came from good. an active family. Everything yeah. was good. Everything seemed good. Yeah. Yeah. There, looking back on it, there were probably a few red flags, but I didn't know them at the time when, you know, I was 21. We got married when I was 22 and it wasn't, there were certain things I wasn't aware of to even notice or look for. Well, and I think, you know, I mean, I don't think we go into marriage looking for problems. No, of course not. Especially when you're younger and your experience is so narrow. So you guys got married. You Did you stay in the Provo area? Or no, so, you were, got married up in Idaho. We, that's where we met, but yep. But then, uh, he transferred, he went to BYU. I went to UVU for Mm. a little while. Yeah. So we were in Provo and just going to school. And it was at that point, um, I thought we were just having the best time of our lives. I thought this is so great. We're not struggling like all these other people do their first year. We're just having so much fun. We want to be with each other. We can't even be away from each other. And then it was one day when I walked in from work and I turned the TV on and the channels were stuck between stations. It was the old TVs with the knobs where you turn them. Yeah. And it was stuck in between two stations and it was on a fu- fuzzy picture of pornography. Yeah. And I, I, we have a lot of younger listeners. Mm-hmm. I, I remember, you know, when being younger, when you'd flip through the channels and cable or whatever, they would scramble yes. certain channels. Right. But every three or four seconds, it would get clear. Sometimes you could make things out. You could almost watch a whole movie on some of those fuzzy channels. And you could definitely get the theme of what was going on. Mm -hmm. So it was on that channel. Yeah, it was on that channel. And I was... You guys didn't have kids yet at this point. No, we had been married like six months at this point. Right. And so it was on this, this pornography channel, but scrambled. It was scrambled. And I kind of just... uh, I I felt kind of, I just felt shocked. I had not experienced that before. Not that I hadn't seen pornography. I had. I had seen it from a friend when I was 12. And I had seen it at someone's house when I was in high school. So I had seen it before. But I didn't, I didn't grow up in a family where my dad didn't struggle with it. Yeah. He was very respectful of women. So it wasn't something that I even really honestly didn't really know that it existed. That it was yeah. an actual issue or that people... Um, were enticed to watch it. So what did you do with that moment? Did you just write it off? I mean, that was, that's an easy one to write off. Yeah, uh, but because I was, that was just not in my nature. It was, you know, fidelity and commitment and love. I love love. I still love it. It's one yeah. of my favorite things of all time. Right. Loving people and loving life and everything. And so, no, there was no way. I, I didn't yeah. write it off at all. So we went and talked to our bishop. So did you actually go and confront your husband with I this? I did. Mm-hmm. And did he acknowledge that he had been watching it? Yes. That must have been really difficult. Was it scary? Were you were you kind of hoping he'd say, oh, no, it must have gotten stuck between... Yeah, of course. I was thinking there's got to be an explanation. This can't be something that is serious. This can't be something that he wants to do. Why does he need to do that? We're married and we have a great relationship. So yeah. I don't understand why he needed to go there, which of course I but didn't he understand readily what it opened was. up and said, yeah, yeah, I was watching it. He said he was watching it, that he had uh, s- seen it at the age of 11, you know, started mm. seeing it and, yeah. and things kind of progressed from there. Um, but I don't know that he knew that it was an actual addiction either at that point. Yeah. 
I don't know that you do. I'm, I'm getting the sense we're close in age anyway. Uh, I'm 47. Okay, so. I'm 47, so okay. we're exactly the same <laughs> right. age. Yeah, we didn't grow up with pornography, and I, I have a hard time helping my kids to even understand what my experience was like. You know, it, it was... You know, oh, Bobby's got a Playboy that his right. dad had. He stole mm-hmm. it from his dad. And we're going to, you know, everyone's getting together to look at it at 3 o'clock today at the back of the school. Oh, right. There's a pack of 50 kids. Exactly. Like, it was that hard to. Right. right. We didn't have pornography addiction when we were young because how on earth would you get a hold of pornography? Exactly. Unless you found that magazine in the ditch or somewhere in a field or like someone's brother or parent that yeah. had it. And then they stole it. And then they had that one. That one picture. That was it. And now it's... You think about how powerful it is and how prevalent it mm-hmm. is. So th- this this was early internet times. Uh, internet wasn't even around in 90... This was 94. 94, yes. Yeah. So, so, I mean, maybe a, the littlest bit of dial-up. I mean, I remember yep. that. Pages loading very slow. So internet right. pornography was not the streaming Mm-mm. thing. So you went and talked to your bishop. How hard was that the first time going to your bishop? For me, I had always had trust in my leaders, and it was uh, a process that felt natural to me. You did something wrong, you go talk to them. Yeah, sure. uh, I had experience of with making mistakes in high school and, and visiting my bishop and yeah. feeling loved, and it was fine. Now, I know that's not the experience for everybody, and I understand that. Right. But that's what mine was at the time. And so it was awesome. natural for me to say, we're going. Right. And he's like, okay. So he agreed and he went and he told them and our bishop was awesome. He talked about his own pornography struggle and what he did to stay clean. Uh, But at the time, there wasn't really, not that I know of anyway, any 12 step type stuff or anything other than read your scriptures more, say your prayers more, make sure you guys are connecting. There wasn't a program. There was not, not, I mean, maybe, but not that I know of. Yeah. And my bishop didn't. And so he just kind of gave us some of the church answers to do. So we left there feeling committed to go do that. Uh, But that, when you struggle with addiction, those answers are great. Those are always helpful, but it's not going to change your addiction. It's not going to save you from it if if you have um, issues with that. Not knowing that it was an addiction, did you walk out of there thinking, okay, now that's done and he's committed and we're going to move forward? Yeah, yes, but something interesting happened for me at that point. I became so anxious and so stressed and so unsure and angry, and uh, I didn't trust him. And so I would get nervous, and I, I started having these little panic attacks. Like when I was at work at night, I would be nervous about what he was doing mm. because the trust was gone at that point, and it yeah. hadn't been rebuilt yet. And now, years later, now I know that was a uh, the beginning of betrayal trauma, something that you experience because somebody betrays you and someone, it shocks your system. I, I think that's important to acknowledge, right? I mean, the the betrayal trauma is natural. Right. But it leads you to question yourself. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel this way? Why am I second guessing this person? Gosh, that's got to be so difficult. Yeah, and it makes you second guess yourself in ways that am I not good enough? Why you're, you look at it and take on the problem almost that he must be doing this because something that I'm not doing mm. right. And so you start looking at yourself thinking, okay, well, maybe I can be cuter or smarter or funnier or whatever, anything, which is completely untrue. That's taking on the ownership of that person's problem. Yeah. Ugh. My heart is breaking for you going through this. 
So uh, obviously this escalates. What's, it does. What was, is, was there, I mean, uh, that was mm-hmm. obviously like a, a key moment. It was key just because it was opened that my was, eyes. That was the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So was there another yeah. landmark moment that came so next? every couple years I would find something. So it was one of those things he didn't come forward to say, hey, I'm having an issue. I always caught something. Outside of catching things, right, finding things, did you see differences in him? For sure. And it was almost as if there was this underlying feeling of, I know there's something wrong. I just don't know what it is. And I would ask him all the time, just tell me what it is. We, we can figure it out, but tell me what is going on. There's kind of a, there's a distance, there's a disconnect, and there's a blankness into looking. Mm-hmm. When, when you're looking into somebody's eyes, if you trust them, you can almost look into their soul. You can look deep. Mm. But when there's somebody that's disconnected and somebody that's hiding something, they can't look you in the eye for that long. Wow. So what was the next landmark? Yeah, so uh, every few years I'd find something. We'd go to our bishops, talk about it, and it wasn't until... Did, uh, did he... Op- Sorry, I don't yeah, mean to no, cut you off, good. but did he open up like you'd find something. Did he say, yes, you found it. This is isolated or did he open up and say, yeah, this is ongoing? Did you know that it was right. happening all the time? Or were, did you just think no. you were so good you were catching every time it happened? Right. So there is a lot of manipulation and deceit that comes from when a person's in addict mode. And that's all addiction. Drugs, alcohol, whatever yep. it is. Lying, Same things. Lying and manipulation mm-hmm. are just the toolkit for addiction. Absolutely. Yeah, the gaslighting where, where if you know what gaslighting is, trying to make your reality seem like that you're the one that's going crazy yeah, versus you them, have that the you problem. have the problem. And yeah. so so it was very, um, he, he definitely tried to make things right in those moments. And so that addict person who is distant and unkind shifts after I find something. He's uh, open and crying and and very present, and I love you so much, and I'm so sorry, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so then you're like, okay, 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 maybe maybe this is okay. Not okay, but maybe he's just dumb. Maybe he just makes these dumb choices. And, and it's whatever it takes. The addiction becomes living. It feeds itself. Mm-hmm. And it knows that that's what it needs in order to yes. keep going. That's, that's why the lies and manipulation take. and deceit are so oh, prevalent gosh. for anybody struggling with it, because they have to protect the addiction. That is so painful. Mm-hmm. So you find things every once in a while. You're going to the bishop. Yep. What's the next big landmark moment? So so 2012 was when I found an amount of things that were bigger proportion to where it was the spirit just said, you know what this is. This is not just that he's making bad choices. He has a problem. H- had there been any discussion or was there experience outside of pornography? At this point, for him, everything was online, and uh, it escalated to people he would pay online, so Skype sessions, camera models, things like that. Um, and eventually, later, once he actually went to a rehab, 90-day treatment center, and when he was there, I did find his whole other life that he had. And he did have people that he had been meeting up with for two years. So there was three that I know of that he met up for two years, all online. So um, people will ask me, well, he didn't actually physically meet somebody and have an affair. So so it's not as bad as someone else that does meet up with somebody. And that's completely untrue. Your, your heart doesn't know the difference yes. between the betrayal. It's all the same. And the fact that 
they, in his case, he decided to meet up with somebody and build a relationship with these different people over the two years on a regular basis, some daily, some not, but regular is, is not okay, obviously. And it is betrayal and it is infidelity. Now you had children by this point. I did. And to, to that point, it was so true. And that's where I felt so always looking in my own head, so crazy, like, okay, wait a minute though. He's so great. He's so, such a good dad. He comes home from work. He's, he's super, like gives me lots of love and supports me in everything I want to do, business related mm. or whatever it is that I'm into. He was a hundred percent supportive. And so it, you know, distorted my thinking and where I had a kind of second guess where I'm thinking he is really a great person. He's such a good dad. But as we got into 12 step and counseling, our counselor taught me really what that is. And it's really manipulating for the addict person that shows up. So when he would act out or do something that was against marriage and family, right? He, when he would do that, he would come home and, and really, when they do that, when he did that, you really do feel a lot of shame. You just hate yourself so much. I cannot believe I'm doing this. I have this great family at home. But still, they're still protecting that, that addict. And so he would come home and be like, okay, well, I'm going to be the best husband and father to make up for. Yeah. So they can compartmentalize it. Even though I'm terrible over here, I am so great over here. Yeah. They lie to themselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. And say, I can be both. Right. I can have both yes. things. Yes. And you can't. No. I mean, it's impossible. The truth comes out. Was was the next big step this 90-day program? No. So in 2012, as we were going to see our bishop, and when I found this these things, I was just praying in my mind going, Heavenly Father, please, please have the bishop tell us to do more than just read our scriptures and say our prayers. That is not doing it, right? I yeah. need something more. And he introduced us to the 12-step program. I wasn't familiar that the church had one, especially for pornography and for spouses of addicts specifically for pornography. And yeah. so he committed us to going to, for four years. That's and what he said. it's such a big issue. If you go to, there's a 12-step meeting finder. Yeah. And it's a beautiful, the 12-step program is beautiful. I've been to meetings. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful it's experience. Um, and it's, I think it's a great experience for anybody. I wish everybody did it. Everyone should go to one right. meeting mm-hmm. and see what it's all about. But in the 12-step meeting finder, you can you can kind of clarify general addiction. Yeah. Or pornography addiction. It's that prevalent. It is. And you can go to, there are pornography meetings for just women. Yeah. There are pornography meetings for just men. And then there are general pornography meetings. But so did he start going to those meetings? He did. And he went right in. We didn't miss a meeting in the first year and a and half. And you went. And did you go to the spouse support meetings too? I went to the spouse. Too? Uh-huh. Yep. I went to the support. Tell us he about that, that experience. Well, the first time I walked in, I was so nervous. I couldn't even, my heart was racing. I just, I couldn't even catch my breath really because I couldn't believe I was there and I had to be there. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to do this because I want to help him. And I had no idea that really I needed to do that to help myself. Mm. I had no idea what I didn't know. And so I walked in there and I'm, it was immediate. It was, there's so much love there, so much truth. You do not you do not start out with any surface questions or answers or anything. You are in the depths of everything and you relate to all the people there. And I saw somebody that was facilitating that night and she was so light and so hopeful and so happy, even though she also was crying over certain experiences as she shared. I was like, that's, that's what I want. I, I want that. I want to be her. I, I, I refer to those meetings because I've, I've been to some as being, being among the broken. 
but we're always among the broken. This is just a place where people are willing to tell it. it. Yeah, (laughs) they're willing to be open and the openness and the atonement, the absolute stripped down. I have nothing left. My varnish, my sheen, it's all gone. It's done. I'm an open book, and I have no choice but to accept the atonement. Exactly. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, and those people that I've been in 12-step with, those are my closest friends. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. They build a lot of support. And that's the other thing I would say for our listeners who are struggling themselves or you know, might know someone who's struggling, you can dip your toe in the water. There are phone-in meetings. There yeah. are... All kinds of things. I cannot recommend it highly enough. So he starts going to the program. Yeah, he went. Did you, did you feel mm-hmm. like, okay, this this is going to solve our problems? For sure. I thought, I, I thought he's going to fix himself, and I'm also going to learn how to fix him. That's what I thought. And I had to <laughs> learn that. It doesn't quite work that it way. It doesn't. And I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know. But, that, but that's, that is, that makes sense. Well, I don't mean to laugh he because has, oh, it I does do make too. sense that you... Okay, we're going to get the tools. We will both get the tools to fix him. Yes, because he's the one that has the problem. But what I didn't know is I also have the issue. I have been through all this different trauma, and I only can see things in the view that I was familiar with. And I had lived with an addict Mm -hmm. now at this point. Well, I don't know about that point, but we were married 21 years total. So this was 2012. So it had been a long time of going through manipulation and that kind of abusive... Um, that relationship like that. So at this point in, in 2012, how old were your children in 2012, approximately? Oh, right. So this is seven so, years ago. Mm-hmm. So my youngest was born in 2003. So They were all older, so nine and up. Yep, nine yeah, and up. Yeah, and you guys mm-hmm. had how many kids together? Four. Four children together, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously the children know now because you're a published author about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but... At what point did you bring the children into this? Okay, so at 2012, as we're going through the 12-step program and doing that, by 2013, things had gotten worse, and I didn't understand why. I didn't know. I was thinking, this is crazy. We have not missed a meeting at all. I'm Mm -hmm. facilitating my group at this point. He's facilitating his group at this point. But it's getting worse. It's getting worse. Did he open up to you about it being worse, or did you find it? Right. So, so no. And at this point, I didn't even know I hadn't found anything yet. His demeanor, his behavior, his, his, uh, just his, his mm, spirit. Yep. His spirit, his, the way he talked and treated me, his, he was disengaged, just different things. And I'm thinking, how is this worse? Like this is something's going on here. And, uh, as I was praying about it, um, I, I always, the thing is about the spirit is the spirit always tells you. Sometimes right. we're not ready to listen or yeah. hear it because it's scary. Such a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I had had the prompting that he needed to leave. And I didn't know why. I just knew it was Easter weekend. My family, I had some family in town visiting. And he, I was like back in, I was in my closet, which is that's where I prayed all the time. And I was in my closet. And, and that's the answer I had gotten. And I was like, oh my goodness, you are asking me to ask him to leave. I had never done anything like this yet to this point. You know, I hadn't kicked him out of our bedroom or anything at this point ever. And so I, I would walk out of the closet. Okay. I'm going to tell him he's leaving on Monday after everybody goes. And then I have to walk back in my closet and pray again. Like, I hear you. I, I don't know how to do this. I cannot do this. You're asking me to do something crazy. Right. So, and I hadn't found anything. He was just, his behavior you was not knew. right. Mm hmm. You knew and he kept knowing. saying, I'm innocent and I'm, you know, you, you have the problem and things like that. 
Which is such addict talk. It is. Mm-hmm. But I, and I think it's important, you know, I mean, maybe for, for me and our listeners, it's easy to go, yeah, kick him out. Yeah. But think no. about when we think about you've got four kids. For sure. And you love this person. And the church, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, proclamation hard, of the family, right? it's foundation. And as a mom, I'm thinking, I can do this. I can sacrifice yeah. my well being for someone else. I'm going to help and carry him, which obviously you can't carry anybody. But those were things I learned as I went along. But at the time I was thinking, I'm going to do this. I will sacrifice everything to save this person. So that leads you to asking him to leave? Yes. And so this was a Saturday morning. My family that was visiting had left to go do something. And I said, "Uh, I don't know what's going on, but on Monday you'll have to leave. And he said, there's nothing wrong. I'm sober and this is you. And I mean, just you need help and you need medication and all those things. And I said, I'm sorry. I do not believe you. You are going to have to leave. Roxanne, wow. <laughs> I know. It was really, oh, wow. It, it was. It was really Was this crazy. a turning point of strength? Because that's kind of mm-hmm. what I'm sensing. For sure. Is that there was a turning point of saying, okay, I've got God on my side. It was one got- of those things like I didn't have any evidence at all, but... Something was clearly not right, and I was so close to the Spirit. I had spent those now, that full year, and even before, in the temple, on my knees in the closet. I couldn't sleep at night with him next to me because I could feel that dark energy by me, and it just, mm. and the betrayal trauma. A lot yeah. of tears. I cried every single day. There was not a day I didn't cry. Oh, Roxanne. So, so it was it was painful, but he said those things, and I said, well, I'm sorry, I do not believe you. You'll need, you'll need to leave. And um, he left, he went somewhere, and I went into my closet, and he had been missing his work key to his office building. He had lost it months before. And I grabbed some clothes that were kind of on the shelf that looked disheveled, and I flung them on the ground to, like, grab laundry, and this key fell out of the office. And the spirit told me, you need to go use this. And so his office was, like, two minutes away. I ran over there, turned on his computer, and uh, flipped on the history of his computer from the day before. And that's where everything showed up of everything and how it had escalated to some severe things that uh, were for sure not okay. And and addicts feel like they have safe places. Right. Mm -hmm. So for the spirit to tell you that, for that to all happen is a miracle. It was a miracle. And the thing is, is as terrible as it was, it also brought so much goodness. So I take pictures of that, that, um, s- the screen that of all there must the have been some peace that came from this. Like, mm-hmm. wow. Okay. I this was is right. Why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm sure that no matter, even though you're at 99% coming out of the, For the prayer, sure. yeah. you weren't a hundred no. and he's yelling at you telling it's your problem. Yeah. You've already had the guilt and trauma of the betrayal, which means we second guess ourselves anyway. That's right. Right. To, oh. to be able to have trusted God enough at that point. Because I didn't trust anybody, even God, really, earlier on. It yeah. was hard to distinguish and hear because I'm hearing, no, I love you so much mm. from my husband. And then God saying, uh, I don't think so. You know, So it was really hard to come to that place of learning to trust God and, and stepping into those places that really it's dark and you do not know and you're hoping that the water parts. And yeah. so it was like that. But so that night uh, I had called my bishop, told him what was going on. And um, that night, my bishop had called him and said, hey, you need to come in 
And he's like, I'm not coming in. He's like, you need to come in tomorrow on Easter, on Sunday. And that night we got in bed and my husband said, and this is in the book too, but he said, um, okay, I just have some things I want to talk to you about. And I said, okay. And he brought out this paper and it was these 11 things that are wrong with me and that he'll stay with me if I get medication. 11 things are wrong with you. Right. So he'll stay with me if I get medication that I cannot be, he's sober, I can't be calling him a liar, things like that, right? So, so addict, right? And I am now, Heavenly Father had gifted me what happened earlier that day of me finding this stuff on the computer, right? So he has no idea no that you idea. know all these things. No he's idea. You, I mean, it's really sad. It's I'm sober and here's I'm what's so wrong great. with you. Right. Oh, right. And so I just said, okay, all right, well, let me, let me, I have a couple things to say to you. And he's like, okay, that's fine. And so I open up my phone and I just start reading off every line, every vulgar detail of every site that he went to. And he starts crying and he, we talk all night and he's super humble and super vulnerable which is typical, but it feels good at the time, yeah. right? He's opening up and he goes and sees the bishop and um, he agrees to go and talk to my parents and he tells my parents the whole thing and they cry, but they hug him and my dad gives him a beautiful blessing, me as well. And at that point, and in, in, when I got my blessing, I knew he wasn't supposed to leave anymore. And oh, wow. right, isn't that interesting? That so is interesting. I think sometimes for me, the way I've noticed that God works is he gives us, it, the answer is no or yes at one point, and then it changes. And that's all based on our willingness to choose into what's being offered to us. And at this moment, he's being offered another chance, right? Yeah. And so, so his humility, I guess, was evident. And my answer was that he doesn't need to doesn't need to leave. And at that point, we started and the we started counseling, which we didn't know. I had never been to a counselor before. So that was our next step of seeing a counselor. And and was this all still, this was all 2012? So this is 2013 now. This is 2013. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the, a year later after that. Mm-hmm. Gosh, Roxanne, this I just know. feels like you were trapped in a nightmare. Uh, it was. It was. And again, the same thing happened. It escalated to some of those online affairs that follow, like, had already and then uh, 2014, a year later, again, I didn't have any evidence. And um, I knew, I knew he needed to go to rehab or he needed to get out there. We, we were done. And you had asked me about my kids. They found, they knew something was wrong uh, about 2013. And that's in my book okay. as well. Their first experience with something's not right here with him. Yeah. And something's off. Mm-hmm. So in 2013, did he go into that when he did the 90 day? So 2014 was when he went through the 90-day thing, and that was really a miraculous experience as well. So that was April of 2014, and again, I'm in my closet, and Heavenly Father's like, he needs to go to rehab or he needs to get out. And I that one was really difficult. That one, I just felt so low, like so broken, so shattered. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe Heavenly Father was asking me to possibly break up my family instead of fix this, right? How could he ask me this to yeah. do this? And so I just was as low as I could be. And, but I told, I ended up doing it. You need to, you need to uh, go to rehab or you need to get out. And this was on a Monday and he did his thing that he's sober and all of that. But then he said, that's fine. I'm not going to rehab. I'm going to leave. We'll divorce. That's fine. And I'm going to tell the kids next Monday. So I thought, uh, okay, that's weird, but all right, let's do this. So I called in a prayer intervention with his family and mine. And I'm like, this is it. 
this, we are fighting for this person. There's nobody else fighting for him. We have to fight for him. So we started this prayer intervention, and I was told the whole week, don't say a word to him. Just let me have him. Don't say a word. So we did not say one word the entire week to each other. And Sunday night came, where the next day he's going to tell my kids that we're getting divorced. And I'm in my closet just pleading and just so distraught. How how can one person's decision ruin an entire family of good people? My kids are so amazing. It's incredible. And I'm thinking, how is this possible that this person gets to just ruin our family like this? And I was really distraught thinking this is happening. And I all of a sudden, my phone buzzes, and it's uh, my brother. And he sent a text, and he said, don't worry, angels are on their way. He had no idea any of this was going on, besides the prayer intervention. But that night when I'm in my closet so defeated and collapsed on the ground, and I'm like, okay, it like washed over me. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm okay. I can do this. So I... I get in my bed, and um, again, we hadn't been talking, and a couple minutes go by, and my husband starts talking, and he just keeps talking, 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 where where he, the way I explain it is he comes down, 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 like the pride comes down. He comes to that humble state, that submissive state, and he agrees to go to rehab. And so the next day, I call my brother, and I'm like, what was that? And he said, I was in brushing my teeth. And all of a sudden, I hear, your sister needs you. And he goes, I jump, and I grab my wife, and my mom was visiting at the time. And he said, he gathers them all, and he says, this is it. She needs us. We are going to pray like we have never prayed before. Oh, my God. I know. And it was amazing. Angels were sent. And and later, when my husband got out of rehab, I told him that prayer intervention and the story of my brother, and he said he felt it that night. He said he could feel, he could feel darkness leaving. He could feel his hard heart soften because he said the week before when I had gave him that, um, which he calls an ultimatum, but really it's a boundary. You can't live here if you're going to be this way, yeah. right? And he he said, I had made a pact with myself that I was not going to change. I was just going to do this and take it and pretend that I'm fine. So he ended up in rehab for 90 days. So you obviously had to Tell the kids, hey, dad's going to be... Yeah, you know, I still wasn't in a place to totally... I wasn't comfortable. I didn't know how to own my story at that point. I didn't know how much truth to give them. Now, knowing what I know, I would have been even more open with them. Um, They knew he was having issues. So so I told him that he was going to be gone for 90 days, basically working on himself in a program that helps kind of with... It was was a LDS facility that he went to. And that basically kind of like a EFY, but when you're struggling, struggling. <laughs> so it was kind of like that. That's Great how I explained it to him it, for yeah. at least at that moment. But really, they needed to know the truth. And some of the things that happened between me and my kids at that point was here they are praying and fasting for their dad, right? Yeah. And hoping, and if we just do this, and if we just do that, right, it, it's going to be okay. And I had this prompting one night after we had been, we had fasted and prayed, and we had been oh, just talking about life choices and how Heavenly Father works in our lives. And, and I felt inspired to let them know and remind them that, that the prayers that they're offering on their dad's behalf aren't, aren't going unheard, that yeah. these prayers are for them. 
that regardless of what their dad chooses, mm. what he does in his life has nothing to do with them, that this opportunity for them to grow their relationship with Heavenly Father and their Savior is for their benefit. And so they need it. They can look at it that way, that it's strengthening them regardless of what somebody else does. And if he chooses not to uh, stick with doing good things, they didn't know the addiction at this point, but they knew that if he didn't improve, I wasn't going to stay. So they did know that, that we were going to have to let him go yeah. if he wasn't going to move forward in his life. But just that it didn't matter what he did or didn't do, that Heavenly Father hears them and he's mm -hmm. with them and he will, by developing that relationship, he'll be with them as they grow th go through it, even if it's tough. It, it's hard to teach kids prayer, faith, and agency right? at the same time. Right. To, to teach them your prayers are heard, your fasting is heard, doesn't change people's agency right. even this man who's the most important most important person in their life right most important man in their life certainly i mean mm -hmm. so he gets done with the 90-day rehab yeah we pick him up and we at that point we are in boise at this point so 20 years in idaho and his rehab was in saint george and so we felt inspired to move to saint george to uh, give him the best chance at recovery he has his counselors there his programs are there it's a new environment. And we thought, you know what? Well, I, I said, I'll give you a year to choose into recovery. And if you don't choose into recovery, I'm going to let you go. And he agreed and thought that was great. Um, and that was, we moved in August of 2014 to St. George. And by January, we were doing an in-house separation because he probably was sober at that point, but his behaviors, he didn't want to do the work. He didn't want to, his counselor gave him everything, the whole list. If you do these things, you are going to be okay. But he just, it's hard, you know, when, you, when you're when you an addict and you haven't, uh, addicts who come forward and, and say, hey, I'm having an issue, the ones that aren't getting caught all the time, they really jump into it. They're amazing. Yeah. And like you said, you know some, they're, I, I love it. I just, I wish everybody would catch on like that to know that if you just choose into doing the work, you're going to be happy and yeah, free. and there. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So we were separated by that January in our house, and then we divorced a year later. How painful. Yeah. And so that leads to you sharing a book. Right. Writing. So you mm -hmm. started writing the book while you were still together. Tell I us the did. name of the book. The book is called Cutting Ties. Cutting Ties. And it's about healing from betrayal trauma as the spouse of an addict. Wow. So, and, and really, it's all the same tools no matter what you're going through. It's all about... Uh, Submitting to God, letting go, letting Him do the saving, because it's either me trying to and holding on and trying to control, or letting God do it. And mm. obviously, He's better at it than me. Did you have moments of, hey, God, I did the right things here? Mm -hmm. Did you have that? Why me? I oh, would. I or had... that, or that, is this all true? Is it like, mm -hmm. I did the right things. I got married in the temple. Yeah. I raised four kids. I am going to church. I... Yeah. Why is this happening? For sure, in some form. I, God and I, because I came to him for everything and I, I told him exactly how I was feeling, we hashed it out a lot. And I would go on drives all the time and I'd be like, okay, now this is totally unfair and I cannot believe you haven't saved me from this. And you knew that this was going on and I didn't know, right? Like that. Yeah. And he would say, I know, I know, I hear you. And I would just keep on saying, and, and, and at one point I was like, I don't even know if I, I don't even know, I don't even know. And I kept saying that over and over. I don't even know. And then I'm like, I don't even know if I like you right now. 
And I couldn't say hate because that felt big to me. But I was like, I don't even know. And he's like, I know, I know. And then after I told him everything and how I felt, and I relaxed, he's like, I know, I'm here. And this is what we're going to do. And then I'd be like, okay, you're the greatest. You're the best. You always hear me. It's just an amazing relationship when you actually turn and give him everything you've got. When you don't have to worry that he's going to be mad at you or Mm. I didn't do it all perfect at all. And I yelled and I was angry. And there were lots of things that I didn't do. Of course. Yeah. My first chapter in the book is My Rock Bottom, which was why I wrote the book. And, and, so I didn't, I didn't do everything right, but he honestly doesn't care if I do it right or not. He just wants me to keep coming to him. So fast forward to mm-hmm. five years later, you've published the book. I want to make sure we get the plug-in for the book. If people okay. want to buy the book, what, where's the yeah. best place for them to go? It's on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, it's on Amazon. They can follow me on social media. Yeah, under and it's called ties Cutting and Ties. It's right. got a really f- kind of a, an almost clever, funny cover with the tie, like physical... Neckties yeah. being cut in half. Right, right. And well, that that's a true story. So that's a real picture. What 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 is the tell us the story behind that? So I was this was right after rehab. So this was the fall of 2014. And in counseling, as we're he's he's supposed to be building trust with me. And I have all this betrayal trauma where I get triggered and thinking what's even real and get nervous about things. And and his homework basically is to try to build trust. And so if I have a trauma response where I'm freaking out a little or nervous, he is supposed to respond a certain way. So at this particular day, I I came to him and I was like, okay, okay, I just, I just need to know something that's true. Just tell me something truthful. doesn't matter what it is. I just need to mm. know that there's something true. And he's like, no, I'm not telling you anything. I'm like, and my heart's racing and the trauma is starting to spin because trauma response is your whole entire body goes into, um, it's shaking. It's, it's not anything you can control. It really is a trauma yeah, response, like sure. a panic attack, but in your body and, and I was like, you, you got to tell me something. I'm freaking out. You got to tell me something. He's like, I will not tell you anything. I'm not telling you the truth. And I'm like, you tell me something now. Like I was wow. totally losing it. And he's like, I will never, I will never tell you the truth. And so I left that space that he was in and I went in my closet and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what, is, what am I even doing here? What is, what's even, why are you even yelling at God? Why are you even asking me to do this? Why are you even asking me to stay? And I look over and all his neckties are hanging across the bar. All in my mind, perfectly even, color coordinated, like this perfection, right? And my life, it was a lie. Like this life is not perfect. And that's what went through my head. And I saw those. Whether it's true or not, I have no idea what they actually looked like across the bar. They were hanging there. And that's how my perception was. And I knew what I wanted to do. And I wanted to cut them. I wanted to cut this perfection that isn't true. Mm. And I grabbed some scissors in my bathroom that were honestly two inch blades, small, small scissors. And I just cut and cut and cut and cut. And, and I, so you literally cut up his neckties. Mm-hmm. So yep. cutting ties is became real. literal and figurative. Exactly. Yep. And so those are his, those are the actual ties. So and so are. now here, five years later, mm-hmm. you're still raising children. Yeah. How is that relationship um, with them and their dad or with, just with you and him working together to raise children? Oh, uh, we don't really work together to do that. Uh, they have the relationship with him. They've, they've okay. mended it to their degree at this point for each one of them. 
probably yeah. is what where it's at. You know, each one has a different relationship, but they see him. He's um, they love him. They take what they can get from it. I mean, it's good. It's sure. good what they've decided for. And now you go out and you speak. So if we have listeners who right. are yep. maybe bishops, Relief Society presidents, young women's leaders, yep, for sure. young men's leaders, whatever. Young adults, young single adults, all of it. And you go out and you speak on... on it's really the hope and the healing of it. So even though we talked about the hard parts of this story, yeah. really it's about... It's, it's not about that we hate these people in our lives. We don't. We love these people. This addiction is affecting all our families in some form, yeah. whether it's our children or our spouse or whatever. And so this is about how you make it through, how you do it, if you do struggle. If you're a teenage girl and you struggle, where do you go for help and how do you do it? And you are not a bad person and you're not a terribly perverted, awful, awful person. You're absolutely not. If you had one message for, if, if we have a listener right now who's thinking, I'm addicted, whether it's pornography or substance or whatever, I mean, what would you say to that person now being on this side of things? Well, for the addict, I would say there absolutely is hope and healing, but they have to choose in to doing the work. Yeah. The tools are there. The counseling is imperative with someone who deals with their addiction, whatever their addiction is, like who specializes in it, so they know exactly how to do it, and 12-step programs. It's If you want to save yourself and your life and your family, yeah. that's what you have to do. So if you choose in, you'll heal, for sure. And then even more so... I I have no doubt with how prevalent this all is that there is a young or maybe not young wife or husband because mm-hmm. that's another misconception is that pornography affects men only. Oh, right. No. Well, it's, it's certainly predominantly men. It's still it's, 30 or 40% women though too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of women who struggle with this. Yeah. So if you've got a spouse of someone who... They, either they suspect it or they know it or whatever. What what advice do you have for them? Well, you can't make someone do something they don't want to do. And so you have to just get the help for yourself to know how to handle it, know how to set boundaries. Like, this is not okay for me. That was something I didn't know how to do for quite a while until I learned that in counseling, uh, how to not accept it. Because you don't have to accept it. You can still love the person, but it doesn't mean that it's okay that that's happening. Yeah. So finding that balance mm. of that. So you're five years removed from the divorce. Tell us about your life now. Yeah. yeah. So I recently got married. Oh, I that's know. So Isn't that so great? Fabulous. Yes. And it's really a great story because he and I dated uh, at BYU in 1992. So 27 years ago. Wow. I know. So I cool. know. Isn't it? Roxanne, like my heart just feels full all of a sudden. It, I didn't know that. I, yeah. I mean, like I said, we just mm-hmm. met. Yep. And so you're so, remarried. Yeah, I'm remarried. So so he, we got back in contact because a friend of ours from college that I'm still friends with, he called my now husband and said, hey, I have a book for you to help you with your healing. If I send it to you, would you read it? And he's like, well, yeah. So he sends it to him and he's like, wait a second. I dated her, which he knew because they were roommates and obviously they knew he, and anyway, he read my book. He read it twice. Um, at like just back to back, he wrote it the first time and he said, it was so crazy. It was like, you were sitting on my bed, reading it to me. I could hear your voice reading this story. And, and I first wanted to just come in and save you and like, you know, beat him up and all that stuff. And then he's like, wait, 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 I need to read this for my own healing for what he went through. Now our stories are different, but 
but it doesn't matter, honestly. The tools that God gives us are all the same, yeah. regardless of what we're going through. So mm. it's not specific to addiction. And he said, so I read it for my own healing. And anyway, we ended up getting back in contact, and it was as if we just picked up right where we left off. That is so phenomenal, yeah, Roxanne. it really I is. I love your story. Um, we're about getting to time, but what a perfect place to be. Um, yeah. I, I want to make sure that people, so if they want to follow you, um, or if they want to find out what you're doing, the, the book is available on Amazon. It's called Cutting Ties. Uh, you are Roxanne Kennedy. It's R-O-X-A-N-N-E. That's right. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can find you on Yeah, Facebook is R. Kennedy Cutting Ties. I'm sure if they type R. in Kennedy. Kennedy Cutting Ties. Yeah, and Instagram is Cutting Ties underscore book. So they can find it from Cutting Ties. And again, I just you tell your story so well. I highly recommend that our listeners, if they're looking for a great speaker, I mean, what a great message of hope that you have. And, you know, they're, they're, when these things happen, you can go one of two ways. Yeah. You can go the destruction and the why me and the God isn't real. Or you can find the hope in it. And I just, I love your story. Thank you. We're, we're going to wrap up the way, and I didn't prep you for this at all. So mm-hmm. sorry to drop this on you. But we're going to end the way we end every one of our conversations. And that is, Roxanne, what does uh, being a member of the church mean to you? Well... It means that I am not alone. It means that if I choose to build my relationship with really all three of the Godhead, then I'm not blindly walking, that I actually truly have someone there with me. I had learned in a state conference years ago, if you want a relationship with Heavenly Father, you pray to Him. If you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, you read his word. And if you want one with the Holy Ghost, you be obedient. Mm. And through this experience, I was strictly obedient. I wanted the miracles. I didn't just want blessings. I needed miracles. And I got them not in the way I thought, but in the way I needed. And I wouldn't change my situation at all whatsoever. I'm, I'm grateful for where I am. And I wouldn't have that without that knowledge that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are actually with me. They can be like my friend, like a really close friend. I had to do the work to find them, but they are there, and that's what I gained from being a member of the church. Oh, awesome. She is an author, she is a speaker, she is a mother, she is a survivor, and she is a new wife. <laughs> that's so <laughs> wonderful, too. Roxanne Kennedy, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. And my special thanks to Roxanne Kennedy for coming in and sharing such an important message. There are so many people who are struggling with pornography. It's just running rampant. And I think that we need to be talking about it. We need to be open about it. And uh, hopefully hearing Roxanne's story will inspire a lot of people to open up and have important conversations with their kids, with spouses, with friends. It's, It's something we need to drag out of the shadows and that people need to be open about. And Roxanne is just doing a tremendous work. This week in my Latter-day life, it was a really interesting week. You know, last week we had on uh, my friend Ken Williams, who shared the chocolate cake phenomenon. And that was that he likes to minister by uh, not just his ministering families. If you haven't listened, you really need to go back and listen to his episode, because Ken is just so great. Uh, But uh, he likes to just bring people chocolate cake. And the way it touches their lives is just great. And I shared how he sent me some chocolate cake and what it meant to me. 
Um, but this week I got several messages from different listeners sharing how they were going to start doing this on a regular basis. Uh, and it wasn't always cake, as we mentioned. Uh, well, this week was, was a little bit rough for me, too. Last weekend, our washing machine broke down. And I was getting ready to go on a trip, and we had a repair guy who came out, and then he didn't have the right parts for it. And so I was running over to my parents, who were so gracious and kind, to let me use their washing machine. And then the next day, so this was last weekend, uh, then the next day, our dishwasher broke. <laughs> a glass had broken, and the pieces had gotten into the motor, and it was grinding in the motor, and it was just such a mess. And it was it was a really rough week. It's funny how much we take for granted things like dishwashers and washing machines. And uh, all week we kind of battled with this. And we finally ended up needing to buy a new washing machine and a new dishwasher at the same time. And it just kind of stressed me out. I was gone all week. I spent a couple days in San Diego and then a day in uh, Minneapolis. But I got home from the trip on uh, Thursday night. And got home very late, about 11 o'clock at night, and there was a bag that was sitting on the bed, a gift bag. And I opened it up, and there was a card inside, and it was from a very sweet lady in our ward. Just a wonderful woman, and she has this great family. I love their, their whole family. And she left me a note, and it said that uh, this was her way of ministering, that it wasn't chocolate cake, but inside there was a dish towel. But it was a special dish towel. It had uh, some fabric up at the top with a button, and it said, uh, put this over the handle on your oven. And it was so cute, and I was so touched. And it has a cute saying on it uh, about enjoying people and, and eating food. And it just, it was such a nice and unexpected gift for me. And it just brightened my night after a long trip. I didn't get home till almost midnight on Thursday night. On Friday morning... <laughs> Our dishwasher was still out, and our kitchen just looked like nuclear war had happened in it. You know, everything had piled up, and it kind of got away from us, trying to stay on top of things without the dishwasher, and we knew a new one was coming, and it just felt like chaos. And on Friday afternoon, the new dishwasher was delivered and installed, and I quickly ran a load of dishes and hand-washed some and started to get clean. Then I ran another load and really got our kitchen back to being clean. And once it was all clean and orderly again, I took that dish towel and I hung it over the uh, handle on the oven, and that's where it is now. And it just felt like a bow on top of a present that our lives were coming back into order, and here was this wonderful, beautiful new dish towel, uh, or hand towel, I don't know what it's called, a hand towel, dish towel, but it has this cute saying on it, and this button up at the top, and and it just looks awesome. And Ken's message is absolutely correct. It doesn't have to be chocolate cake, it can be anything, and it doesn't have to be a thing. It can be stopping in and seeing someone. But the chocolate cake phenomenon, I will now call the... Uh, the hand towel or dish towel phenomenon as well, because it sure touched my heart. We can be a blessing to other people's lives. And I sure appreciate that somebody took the time to think of me. I enjoyed the card as much as I enjoyed the towel. And I called her and left her a message just thanking her. And I meant it. It was a beautiful, beautiful gesture. And that's what's happening this week in my latter day life. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Hey, if you think to uh, leave us a review, if you enjoy the show, we could sure use some help with reviews, uh, either on iTunes or Facebook. It sure helps people to find us. If you're not following us on social media, please be sure to check us out there. We always update uh, what's happening with our guests, both on Facebook and Instagram. If you just search for Latter-day Lives, we'll come right up. And most importantly, if you know someone who could use these incredibly uplifting conversations we have, we now have a catalog of, well, about 115 episodes. That's 115 plus members of our church sharing inspiring, incredible messages. Please uh, share this with them. That would just be great. Well, that's about all we've got for you this week. So until next time, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.